Good morning, Ohio. James Lewis, this dream house, the show that is all about the family. Joining us today is Tim Bedore. Well, and here he is, a philosopher, a writer, a comedian, a thin version of a bigger person, a man who sees the glasses half full but of the wrong thing, and a man who can fool a lie detector but chooses not to, your guest, Tim Bedore. Well, thank awesome. you very much. <laughs> awesome, Tim. Thank you for joining us today. It's fun to be here. So, what sports did you play growing up? Growing up, you're not going to believe it, but uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. So, I was in eighth grade, four foot 11, 98 pounds, and I played football, and I wanted to be the quarterback. But I was, uh, well, I was a third string quarterback because I couldn't see over the line. You know, for a quarterback to throw the ball downfield, you should be able to see over your own blocker. So, uh, I was a third-string quarterback, but basketball and track uh, when I was in school and certainly baseball all summer and golf, golf addict. So a lot of stuff, a lot of sports, water skiing, snow skiing. I was a bit of a jock, actually. Awesome. So it sounds like you were very active as a young man. Uh, Hyperactive probably is a better description (laughs) of me as a child, yes. So the way I understand it, you're originally from Illinois. Are you a Cubs fan? Oh, well, I was born in Chicago. My family's from there. But uh, when I was two, we moved up to Wisconsin. Um, But I ended up being a Cubs fan. The Braves left Milwaukee and went to Atlanta. And then my grandfather took me to a Cub game. I was probably 10, 11 years old, 8, 9, whatever it was. It was 1968, and I didn't really understand Cubs cards and how big of a rivalry that was, but the stadium was just just crazed with card fans, Cardinal fans, and Cub fans, and it also happened to be Ferguson Jenkins versus Bob Gibson. Oh, my. Yeah, two future Hall of Famers, Cy Young winners. And I just was wowed by seeing all these adults go crazy. And I've been a Cub fan ever since. The Cubs lost that game in the ninth. And that really basically set up the rest of my life. It was exciting but disappointing at the same time, except for 2016. So, yeah, no, I'm a big Cub fan. So where did you get your education? Well, you're assuming that I did get one. You um, seem like a very smart fella. <laughs> In uh, Catholic schools initially, and then public schools, the Catholic schools kind of recommended to my parents that maybe the Catholic school environment was not exactly the right place for me. Um, They didn't like me after a while. I was having too much fun at their expense. And then uh, the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, uh, because they had a great communication program and a college radio station, and that's essentially why I went there. Nice. So how did you get started in comedy? Uh, Like most comedians, uh, I was kidnapped by gypsies, funny gypsies. No, um, (laughs) I was, you know, I mean, I was always interested in comedy. I mean, radio, I got into radio to do funny stuff. And then when I was actually, I was working in Sacramento and there was a comedy club that opened and they invited me to come out and host and, and have uh, their comics on the air because they liked, you know, humorous things I was doing on the radio. 
And then I went to Houston with another radio gig, and there was a comedy club there. In fact, uh, Bill Hicks and uh, Sam Kennison were starting out there previously a little bit before I came there. And so I got involved with them. And then I moved to San Francisco with uh, another radio gig and just dove in, really. The, the comedy scene in San Francisco at the time was just so dynamic. I mean, Robin Williams and Dana Carvey and all these people were showing up to the open mics. And so I just dove in and uh, then eventually left radio because I could play a lot more golf as a comic was essentially free. <laughs> no, I just I loved doing stand up and the group that I was in with, and, you know, that generation of comics. So yeah, it's been a long time since so I've sounds- uh, been in radio, but I still love radio. So it sounds like you've dealt with some of the greats in the business. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it really was unbelievable. It was wonderful that people like Robin and Dana and, you know, other people that you would know. For example, one of the guys that was uh, just another guy on the circuit in San Francisco was, or you still hear him, uh, Tom Kenny, who was the voice of SpongeBob. There were just a lot of people like that that came out oh, wow. of Bob Goldthwaite. Uh, Dana Gould, who you know wrote for The Simpsons for years, and you see there were just tons of talented people, which was great. It was also uh, difficult because you had to follow occasionally Robin Williams or Dana Carvey at an open mic because it was just so much fun. They would show up because they just wanted to be part of the gang. They were famous, but wanted to be, you know, working like everybody else. But you had to follow them as an open micer, which is difficult. But, you know, it got your chops up pretty quickly if you wanted to survive. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, uh, backing up or following somebody like that uh, must have been uh, quite intense. Uh, Very daunting. Very daunting. But good in the way that... The crowds were hot. They were, they were showing up. I mean, for a number of years, people were just showing up in the hopes that Robin was going to show up. So every time you were in a club, there was a good crowd that were, and he often did show up. He would do three, four sets a night at, at different clubs around town. So, you know, it just became a thing. And yeah, occasionally you would have to get up right after him or Bob Goldthwaite or Dana Carvey or something, and yeah, you had to have your chops uh, pretty down tight before uh, you're not going to fail. You mentioned your overwhelming experience with radio. Tell us, what are Bob and Tom really like? Well, uh, what you hear on the air, and I've always thought this and said this, because people ask that question you know, for the past 20-plus years. They've been asking what are they like? And, I, you know, when I think about it, I honestly have to say they are almost uniformly off the air like they are on the air. They're, they're not like Howard Stern, for example, who, you know, came off as, uh, you know, very aggressive or mean-spirited, whatever, but actually off the air, he's really not that person. The whole Bob and Tom crew really are essentially who they are. I mean, I can't even think of one thing that I would say was just done 
on the air. I mean, Tom is germ-phobic, and Tom is very worried about, you know, he can fixate on small details and whatever. Um, they're just all basically how you hear them, and I think that is the key to the show, is that they're really human, and it becomes, the listeners really become part of, you know, the group and the family, and they want to move along with it and, and know what's going on and feel, you know, like these are our friends. And they really do have great respect for the audience. And, you know, uh, that's always another thing that you were impressed with, with how much respect they have for the audience. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a hell of a show. That is awesome. Like you said, I mean, it's been around for so many years. And like you said, it's got that kind of family feel where everyone kind of contributes. It's it's really nice. It is. It is. It's, it's true broadcasting versus narrow casting, which, you know, that's more where all broadcasting has gone is more narrow. But they're, you know, one of the last remnants of uh, a real broad casting kind of situation where you're trying to get lots of different people, male, female, older, younger, whatever. So yeah, it, it's impressive. It's good. So how did you come up with vague, but true? Well, there is a story to that. Um, and vague, but true is the feature that I did on Bob and Tom for years and years. When I was in San Francisco radio, I came up with just a bunch of little features that I would do at 420 and 520 in the afternoon. And they were things like uh, the Bible according to Tim, where I would take a phrase from the Bible. It would be, it came to pass, and then it was on third and long yardage, and, and Jesus is in a football game, or <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, I did something called the Dear Abby Aptitude Test, if you could be the next Dear Abby, and I'd write bad advice based on her column. And words are fun and all kinds of just, you know, features. Are you a smarter, stupid teen? And uh, what do you know about sex? And, you know, there were just all these very specific types of features. And if I didn't have, if I had something that I wanted to say that didn't fit into one of those narrow categories, it was a commentary, a mock commentary, and I just came up with this title, Vague But True. And a guy that I worked against, who did afternoons on another station, then ended up in Los Angeles at a big station there, and when I moved to L.A., he hired me to do Vague But True on his show in Los Angeles, and then NPR picked it up for a show called Marketplace. And so when I would go to Indy to do the Bob and Tom show every year as a comic, I would bring three, four, five of the past year's evergreen vague but trues and do those on the air. And that just became a thing that we did. And then finally, I think it was the year that I did the original Animal Conspiracy piece, Tom just said, we've got to make this a regular thing. So that's how it started, and that's where, you know, Vague Betree came from. It was just one of those mock commentary things that uh, I started and, you know, continue to do. You mentioned about moving around to the different uh, places. Tell us about Minnesota. What's it like to live there? Well, you know, 
with the pandemic, we've been sheltering in place. You're not supposed to go out. You're not supposed to talk to people. You're not supposed to be around other people, stay in your house. Well, they've been doing that here in Minnesota for 178 years. That's a really a lot <laughs> of what Minnesota is. Um, you know, the upper Midwest, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I married a woman from Minnesota. Uh, we lived in L.A. for years, and then we decided to move back here to be closer to family when my daughter got to be, like, seven. Um, Minnesota is different than Wisconsin. I, I would say Wisconsin's extroverted people, and Minnesota truly is. They're, they're introverted. They're Scandinavian people, very nice, but also, you know, they are the people that stare at their shoes. And, you know, you think maybe they don't like me, but no, that's that's how they get along with people. <laughs> they're very, uh, very nice people. And also, it's really interesting that, I mean, they embrace the outdoors. If you want to survive winter without going nuts, you really got to get out and cross-country ski or skate on a frozen lake or play hockey or walk in the snow, you know, you got to embrace it. So it's a pretty active and hardy people, but incredibly shy. <laughs> just really kind of, and anyhow, Wisconsin is everybody's just the Polish people, and, you know, they're just so out there emotionally and, and you know, extroverted. Um, but it's, it's a really nice uh, Minneapolis is a great place to live. It really is. Definitely. Sounds like some interesting uh, contrast. And, uh, of course, I appreciate you saying that line about staring at the shoes because as you were saying about when you said introverted and extroverted, I've heard you say that line so many times on the radio that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope he says it. It's one of his little favorites. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's how shy. The extroverts will stare at your shoes and the introverts stare at their shoes. But eye contact is really uncomfortable. And that's why the shelter-in-place thing, we've done well with uh, the pandemic because, well, that just means normal life, just staying at home and not talking to other people. We have uh, Stephen Tobolowski, who was uh, Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day. Both you and him, you have The Animal Conspiracy, and then he has a book, The Dangerous Animal Club. Tell mm -hmm. us about The Animal Conspiracy. Well, you know, this is something for a long time I've uh, been noticing, and I think that animals are evolving. You would never have mountain lions coming into town or, or coyotes living in Chicago or squirrels wanting to take your cable away and your, your life-giving Internet access. But they do because, like any animal, if you believe in evolution, then what, if they're evolving – why wouldn't they want to have uh, a, a nicer place to sleep than a hole in a tree? Of course they would. So why, I believe in evolution. So the, the it's not just us. It's, you know, all animals are evolving. And it really kind of did start when a squirrel got into my future wife's place. And uh, I, I just couldn't believe that it didn't want to leave the chimney because there was a fire in the fireplace. It wanted to get out into the house through the fire and then wreak havoc on the inside of the house. And then I was shocked to find out that it cost me $250 to get rid of a squirrel because I was not up to this. 
I, this was a dangerous squirrel. And so <laughs> I called uh, critter control and uh, two guys came over, it smelled a bit like uh, maybe they'd been drinking, but uh, they came over and it was essential. I thought they'd have, you know, hazmat suits and uh, steel toed boots. And they just had a, essentially a fishing net. Um, and $250 later, they, they got the squirrel out. <laughs> so then, you know, there's like the squirrels are trying to rob me of my money. So I just, I have a thing about them, uh, the animals, and I just, I keep a lookout for what might be uh, something we need to keep a heads up on. I like the alligator one where you had them ringing the doorbell. <laughs> well, you know, you really should then see my presentation, uh, the slideshow, an inconvenient horror, the animal conspiracy. You just wouldn't believe the pictures. And, and people, you know, they think it's a joke at first, and then they see the slide presentation, and they go, well, I got to think at least it could be possible from all the pictures. Yes, the, the and by the way, that's not the only picture of alligators ringing doorbells and being in, in the right in the front door and, and pounding on the door. I mean, it's, it's happened many times. So it's just, it's bizarre, but, you know, I, I love my country, and I'm trying to save it from the squirrels. Awesome. So um, hopefully, you mentioned seeing your presentation, hopefully sometime in 2021, you'll be coming yeah, to Ohio. We'll out. Yes. yes, we'll be able to get out. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, because I was going to say, there's all kinds of great venues here, from the Funny Bone to, to Bogarts and everything in between, that uh, we'd love to have you come on down and uh, entertain the masses. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be great. I'm looking looking forward to getting out again. It's been, I think, the last time I performed was, on, was in February. So it's going to be a year coming up, which will be, it's just kind of odd to think, I mean, you know, as a comic for decades, you're on stage every weekend, every other weekend, whatever. And now it'll be a year um, in February. So, yeah, that's a bit strange. Looking forward to getting out. The original theme of the show is uh, about home remodeling. Uh, what kind of handyman are you? Uh, active and bad. Um, haven't killed myself, but uh, especially... We, we have a rental property and a, a two-bedroom, uh, a, a two-unit duplex. And so I've had to, been forced to, keep things up there. And the typical thing for me is that I go over there, look at what's wrong, realize I can't do it, and call a professional. That's my, my extent of my efforts over there other than painting. But here, the last year, I have taken on uh, tasks um, that I've wanted to do to our house that have bothered me for 15 years since we've been mm -hmm. in this house. And I finally had to get after it. So the trim from uh, the 50s was remaining in the two bedrooms of our house, I took that all off, figured out that two and a half inch nails, uh, very difficult to get trim off of plaster. 
and old wood, but I did that and had to dremel off the, the, the body of the nail. And so sanded that and stained it and then took loan of a, a nail gun, which a little exciting for me to use. Uh, sometimes sparks flew, but I <laughs> figured out how to use the, the nail gun. And now I'm so bored uh, and, and, you know, I have so much energy that I can't get out either golfing or doing comedy, but I've created uh, four cabinet doors, a drawer front, and a, a laundry chute door from plywood, and I've been veneering, iron-on veneering, and uh, trimming up these doors and putting, I bought a jig for a, a hinge pocket, you know, that thing, so it fits in the back. I'm getting desperate for, you know, and if this pandemic doesn't end soon, there may be a second story on this house that's not going to pass code. But uh, <laughs> I, I've just got to do some stuff. So, exactly. yeah, I'm kind of getting into it. Oh, that's cool, Tim. We've enjoyed having you on the show. I uh, want to let our listeners know where to find more about you on the web, where to find you on the social media. Well, here's the problem. Uh, my website, Vague But True, has been hijacked. Um, it, it literally was taken from me. I still haven't figured out how that happened and or if I can get it back, unfortunately. But I am doing a podcast. Um, it's called An Agnostic's Guide to Heaven. And because I can't be out there, uh, I'm a, now a life coach. It's time for me in life to give back or it's just a, uh, a vehicle for storytelling. <laughs> um, it's called an agnostic's guide to heaven. And it's a lot of, you know, growing up Catholic stuff and uh, then just, you know, stories, things that I remember. I've kind of, uh, according to my friends, an amazing memory for stuff that has happened. Uh, stories from my life and their life. And they can't believe I still remember things. And I just love telling these stories. So, it's an agnostic's guide to heaven. I'm a spiritual guru and a life coach or a storyteller using that as a vehicle. <laughs> That's what I've been doing, essentially, for the last year, uh, doing this podcast. Just because I like to write and, you know, record and tell the stories. So, uh, and, and hopefully, VegaTrue.com gets, gets back into my control. You wouldn't believe what happens on the Internet, how they're poaching websites and stuff. It's amazing. But... Yeah, oh, yeah. The, so that's where you'd find me. Yeah, the Internet's a wild place. It's definitely been a pleasure having you on the show, Tim, and uh, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appliance Factory of Mattress Kingdom is your kitchen appliance headquarters. Save 30 to 60% every day on everything from LG and GE to KitchenAid and Samsung. If you're considering upgrading your home appliances or mattresses, stop at any one of Appliance Factory of Mattress Kingdom locations. Plus, Mattress Kingdom inside Appliance Factory has largest Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, and Sealy selection. Visit ApplianceFactory.com. Good morning, Ohio. James Lewis of This Dream House, a show that's all about the house. With us today from iFly is Steve Hunt. Steve, thank you for joining us to discuss the All Abilities program at iFly. James, thank you. Thanks for having us. So what is the All Abilities program? So, James, the All Abilities program uh, was started uh, by a family who had a child that was challenged, and uh, she she 
create an event so that we could basically highlight the fact that indoor skydiving is for everyone from every, every walk of life, every challenge, whether physical or mental, and anyone can fly. So we created an event called All Abilities Night just to highlight that, that fact. Uh, we give a special discount rate uh, for those who attend the event, and anyone can come and watch. And currently we've flown anyone from people who are blind uh, to people who are paraplegic and people who don't have limbs. Uh, so we're really excited about it. Personally, I have a personal interest in it. This is one of the things that really drew me to iFly. My son has spina bifida and was born with paralysis from his waist down. So we look for adaptive sports to get involved with that we can all do as a family. I have eight children, and we all like to do sports together. We like to do a lot of things together. One of them was skiing, snowboarding. We go out to Colorado a lot. And that's where, uh, in Orlando, we were introduced to indoor skydiving and realized that this is something that my son can do. Uh, so I have a very special interest in, in this event. Oh, wow. That is uh, phenomenal that uh, you're able to uh, uh, take a, a thing that has affected your family and be able to uh, help change lives of others. We're able to share it with everyone, and that's basically what we want to do. Um, we, we have two programs that we're just starting with Children's Hospital here locally in Cincinnati. One of them is called Be Well. And in this program, we host children who have all sorts of disabilities and challenges in their life to be able to bring them in and teach them how to fly. Uh, we're, we're, the goal is to hopefully build this up, as you've probably been told, this is a rapidly growing sport of indoor skydiving. It's very competitive. Currently, there's no adaptive uh, competitive para-athletic league, and the goal is to actually create sort of a groundswell of people that can see that not only can they fly, but they can get into this as an adaptive sport to compete in. And so that's, that's the goal. That's the hope that, that we start here in Cincinnati and then move to all the other tunnels in, in the world and, and start that. That is remarkable. And definitely working with Children's Hospital, yeah, I was going to say, I can imagine with your son, uh, my son also uh, is a, uh, a frequent visitor of Children's Hospital, so uh, I, I can relate. He's got uh, Eagle Barrett syndrome, so it's... Uh, it's one of those things where we're constantly going there, and that is so remarkable that iFly is giving back and really changing lives by uh, working with uh, Children's Hospital. Yeah, it is. It's great. This is, like I said, my favorite piece to iFly. It's one thing to teach people how to fly. Uh, it's, it's quite another thing to teach people who can't walk to just skip the walking part and come in here and learn how to fly. Uh, currently, we have uh, one of our sponsors is paralyzed. He has a T4 injury, spinal injury, uh, during a motocross accident. And I, I like to use him as an example because he's, he came in here, uh, he's paralyzed from the chest down uh, and very limited uh, mobility, of course. We have special harnesses that are designed by an instructor up in Montreal. They're specially designed to be able to hold um, anyone with different sorts of paralysis in place to keep them into a good flying position, and then they can get in here and learn to fly by themselves. And currently, uh, Justin is he, he can fly in a belly position and move in all five points of movement by himself un unassisted. So it's, it's really a miraculous thing. I, I, I want to invite anyone in the area to come and watch this. Um, we do it once a month, first Sunday of every month. We're skipping this Sunday because, as you know, it's the Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, so it'll be a, <laughs> so, yeah. Probably not a big show out, you know, uh, uh, for this Sunday, but uh, first Sunday of every month starting with uh, March 1st. 
I want everyone to be able to see this, to experience this. When when you see someone who um, has gone through their whole life, you know, comp- competing in high adrenaline sports and doing things like he did his whole life, and then going from that to not being able to walk, um, you know, being bound to a wheelchair, now getting him the freedom to fly his own body around by himself in a tunnel and then to build a competitive environment where he can now compete with his skills is just it's just a miraculous thing and 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 that's what we really really love to see here at iFly Cincinnati so before we let you go where on social media where on the web should they check you all out at so for the Corey Hood Foundation which is connected to the adaptive um uh, piece that we're doing here in iFly Cincinnati. That is the CoreyHoodFoundation.org, or they can look up the Corey Hood Foundation on Facebook, and all of those will be connected together. We also have an Instagram uh, that all of that's connected. There is an application for anyone who wants to get sponsorship that needs sponsorship to come in, and we invite them to fill out that application, and then we can try and find sponsorship for them. Um, as far as uh, iFly Cincinnati, if you look that up on Facebook, you can go to iFly Cincinnati. And, uh, and you'll find us there. Um, we are trying to start up an iFly Cincinnati Instagram that's coming soon. So, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll happen soon, too. Uh, and they can, any of them can reach out to myself or Kate personally. Uh, we invite, especially for the adaptive program, I invite anyone to be able to reach out to me personally. Uh, they, I can give you uh, my phone number. Uh, my email is Steve, or I'm sorry, S Hunt, S H. U-N-T, at iFlyWorld.com, and I can give you my number. is 513-678-9823, and I'm happy for anyone uh, in the adaptive community to reach out to me. I'll answer any questions that I can, and, and there's no one uh, that we want to have limit to be able to come in and experience this and hopefully uh, love it so much that they want to get into it uh, competitively. That is remarkable. I uh, really appreciate you all joining us on the show today. Thank you, James. Thanks for having us.